Well, hello friends, it's great to be together and thanks so much for joining us if you're watching this online. And we are gearing up in a few weeks time to give into our annual vision offering, which I am really, really excited about. And it was Nicky Gumbel who once said this, he said, the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. The day you were born and the day you find out why. Why is the question of purpose for our lives? Why do I get up in the morning? What's the meaning of my existence? What's the purpose of my life? The, the big question of why is a question that everyone on planet Earth has to come to grips with in their life. Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Why? And as Christians and as those who are members of the King's Arms, we have found an answer to that great life question, why? And our why is this, we want to see God's kingdom fill the earth. That's our why. That's why we get up in the morning is because we've got a calling to partner with God to see his glory and kingdom fill the whole earth, not just a church building, but to fill the earth, to fill business and education and politics and sports and architecture and technology and the environment, to see God's kingdom fill the earth. This is our great why, so that the earth begins to resemble heaven, your kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer and that's our why heaven on the earth. How do we do that? Well, scripture is very clear. Matthew 28, Jesus gave this commission to his disciples. He said, now go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. How do we extend God's glory across the earth? How do we see that happen? Well, Jesus said, you need to learn how to multiply disciples and groups and churches. Go and multiply in, in every nation and with every tribe, every people group. Go and make multiplying disciples and plant multiplying groups and churches. This is how we achieve our why, making multiplying disciples. And what are healthy disciples and groups and churches look like? Well, again, if you look at scripture, we've got this very, very um, simple but clear calling from Jesus who says, listen, here are the two greatest commands. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Matthew 28, go into all the world. We've got this three-dimensional axis of what healthy living looks like as a Christian. There's the upward axis of we are those that worship God. But secondly, there's the inward axis of we are those that learn to love one another deeply from the heart. But then there's the outward which is about learning to multiply the influence of the kingdom and make multiplying disciples. This is how this works out. It's the what, the worship, love to multiply. And friends, we have a great purpose together. There's so much that God has called us to do together and it creates energy for our life. As Simon Sinek said this, working hard for something we don't care about is called stress. Working hard for something we love is called passion. And friends, we are passionate because we found our why. We wanna see the whole earth filled with God's kingdom. And this year, as we come into the run-up to our gift day, 
one of the ways that we get to express our passion for our why is by giving our money, is by sowing generously into just a little bit of the jigsaw that will help see that big picture of God's glory come about. And I'm excited about this year's journey. We are calling the church together to believe for £100,000 at our special gift day in a few weeks' time. And I love all the things that we're going to be pouring into in our gift day. You know, so firstly, we're going to be giving a chunk of money to serve some of the poorest people in our community, whether that's through the work of our King's Arms project or setting, uh, kind of re-establishing our Friday night meeting or pouring into Retrack, which is helping people find skills in employment. Um, we're going to pour our money and serve the poor. That's brilliant. We get to do that together. Uh, Secondly, we get to raise funds that are going to go into planting churches and planting new locations. You know, one of the ways that God changes the world is through church planting and through site planting. And we get to pour into church plants uh, in the Middle East that you may never go to, but your money can go to and resource in a pioneering way, but also in Blunham, which is literally just down the road from where I live here. But we're believing God for a vibrant location to be set up there, just a short distance away from us. We can pour into that this year together, lean into believing God for a breakthrough. And then thirdly, to be honest, I'm even excited about us raising money to fix the flat roof at King's house. You know, in my own house last year, I had to replace the entire roof. We had a horrible moment where we got a roof around and we were getting damp patches in our ceilings and mold issues and it was starting to affect our health. And a, a roofer came round and looked at the beams, took the tiles up and he said, yeah, he said, your beams are rotten and the felt has disintegrated. He said, really, you need a new roof. And so last year we had to put a new roof on our own home. And, you know, I'll be honest, putting in, spending money on a new roof it's not the sexiest thing. But I tell you what, it's not until your roof starts leaking and making you sick that suddenly it feels really important. And so I'm even excited that we get to raise money to fix our flat roof at King's House and to pour into some of the cost of living rises that running a building entails. I'm even excited about that because do you know what? Good facilities actually glorify God. And this is one of the way that we get to be a good steward of the things that God has given to us. So I'm excited about all that we're going to be giving into as part of this jigsaw of seeing this big picture established, God's kingdom filling the earth. And of course, it's so critical that our passion for this why doesn't just come out of our mouths, but also translates into our wallets. It's, it's not just with words, but it is also with deeds. It's with the overflow of our hearts we actually give. And we're going to talk a little bit about that together in the time that we have remaining by looking at one of the churches that comes out as the foremost example of a church that was passionate about giving with their money because they were passionate about their why. They were passionate about seeing the kingdom come. And so it overflowed in generosity. And that is the church in Macedonia. And so we're going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and see what lessons we can learn about radical generosity. So we're going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and we're going to start in verse 1. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, 
what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. So what we know is around AD 45, there was a severe famine in Jerusalem in Judea, which was the birthplace of the early church. And this resulted in a severe famine and severe hardship in that particular part of the world. And the Apostle Paul, who's one of the foremost church planters in the New Testament, he starts to go around the churches in Greece that he had started saying, listen, guys, can we raise some funds to help our brothers over in Jerusalem and Judea? Can we send some relief and resource over to help them in their distress? And so Paul here is writing to a Greek speaking church in Corinth. And he's saying, guys, I want to I want to encourage you to give generously to relieve those in poverty in Jerusalem and to encourage them and to inspire them. He gives the example of how the churches in Macedonia have also given into the same needs. And he begins to boast about these churches and says, these guys, even though they were poor, Even though they had many, many troubles, they were filled with such an abundant joy that it overflowed in rich generosity. Paul essentially is boasting about the Macedonian church and they were churches again that he planted. You can read about that in Acts 16, Acts 17, churches in cities like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea in the Macedonian region. And they were so full of joy in God's that they just couldn't wait to give out of that joy to help those that were in need, even though they were poor themselves. And so here's the first lesson about radical generosity. It's actually rooted in biblical joy. If you want to be a generous person, it actually doesn't really start in duty. It starts in delight. Generosity starts from not a position of I should do, it starts from a position of I get to. This is a response because I am joyful in God. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, a pastor in another era, he said this, he said, the truest, purest joy flows from a discovery of Jesus Christ. He is the hidden treasure that gives such joy to the finder. In other words, generosity has nothing to do with how much you have, but rather about who has you. Generosity flows out of a joyful heart because we have found the greatest treasure there is, and his name is Jesus. In fact, Jesus told a parable about this kind of work in our lives, and you can read it in Matthew 13. And Jesus says, listen, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, notice that word, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and brought the field. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, we are like those who discover the greatest treasure on planet Earth, and it's Jesus. And because of the joy of discovering him, Everything else is up for grabs. There's nothing that I could give that could outdo what he has already given me in the person of Jesus. I have found the 
the treasure that is above all other treasures in this life or in the next life to come. And therefore, it's a natural response because of the joy of finding him to be a generous person. Now, I give because I found my joy in Jesus. And that's why, you know, around the world, some of the people that I have found to be most generous are not materially rich. They're actually being materially poor. But because they've been so joyful in Jesus, it's resulted in overflowing generosity. They've given even out of their poverty. I remember years ago going to a high density township area in Zimbabwe, and there was just incredible poverty and incredible needs. I remember standing in the little local school, which was literally made out of cardboard boxes and twigs. And it was probably, it was smaller than the room that I'm recording this in right now. And it was incredible poverty. And yet as we entered that township to share the love of Jesus, we actually discovered that they were the ones that showed us the love of Jesus. They opened their homes. They fed us. They opened their lives. They poured out generosity because many of them knew Jesus and they discovered the greatest treasure is him. So generosity actually is not about how much you have. It's about who has you. And ultimately, you know, the gospel is what produces joy, understanding that we have a heavenly father who withheld nothing. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Notice that God so loved the world that he gave his love or his joy resulted in giving. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Again, notice that God gave. This is the heart of the gospel is a God who gives, who withholds nothing. And when we understand the gospel of grace, the natural response is that we are people of generosity with the money and resources and the time that God has given us. Friends, listen, if you are listening to this and you are struggling to be a generous giver, then maybe the first prayer that you need to pray is, God, give me fresh joy in the gospel. Give me fresh joy in Jesus. Help me again to live in the wonder of my salvation, that God, you found me, that you gave everything to find me. And now nothing I can give can ever top what you have done. Lord, let me live with overflowing generosity because of the joy of the gospel. Maybe make that your prayer. If you're struggling to live a generous life or to give or thinking about the gift day coming up, thinking, I'm just not really excited about what we're doing. Listen, if that's you, just say, God, would you increase my joy so that it overflows in rich generosity? This was the Macedonian church. They'd never, as far as we know, met anyone in the Jerusalem church. And yet they still wanted to give because they were full of gospel joy. So that's the first lesson. Second lesson uh, we find in verse three, where Paul says, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Now, two types of giving show up in this next section of our, uh, of our passage. Extravagant giving and proportional giving. Extravagant giving and proportional 
giving. And we're gonna look at both of those together. And we'll start with extravagant giving. Because Paul continues his boasting to the Corinthians and he's saying, listen, the Macedonians gave out of their poverty. It welled up in rich generosity. And then he goes on, he says, actually, they ended up giving to the Jerusalem church more than they could afford. They didn't give what was expected. They gave more than was expected. They moved from expectation into extravagance. They, they went way beyond what we were even asking them to do. And he says, they begged for the privilege of doing it. They were like, we want to give more than you're asking for. You know, it's the kind of giving that actually makes you wince. You know, that makes you think, isn't that just a little bit over the top? Uh, you know, couldn't you guys just calm down? Couldn't you just rein in your passion? You know, what, what you're doing here just is, is making me feel uncomfortable. It's so extravagant and over the top. You know, and, and through the years, I've been involved in so many church gift days through the years. And, you know, I've been part of uh, three large churches, all of which had building projects and all of which I've sowed into through the years. You know, I've been uh, I'm giving regularly my money for pretty much as long as I can remember all of my adult life, certainly, and probably a little bit before that. Um, and, you know, I remember growing up in Brighton where we do three gift days a year and we try and raise £100,000 three times a year. Um, and, you know, I've sowed into those through the years as I have with King's Arms. What I don't remember ever doing is begging for the privilege of can I please do more than you're asking. I don't personally ever remember doing that. Maybe you have. But I've never reached the point that the Macedonians reached where they were like, please, Paul, please, can we give more than you're asking for? Please, can we do more than you're expecting? We want to move into an era of extravagant giving, said the Macedonians. You know, in Exodus 36, Moses has the same experience as they're raising money to build the temple and the tabernacle. And um, God's people start bringing so many resources um, that, that actually Moses has to tell them to stop. It's like, guys, stop. You're giving too much. Go, you know, for goodness sake, go and spend something on yourself. Stop giving me all your stuff. We've got more than enough. Can you imagine if we got to that point? where there was such an overflowing heart to give more than was actually needed that we had to say, no, no, just stop, just, just stop. It's making me wince a little bit. But that was what the Macedonian church was like. And friends, extravagant giving is amazing and it reveals something again about the heart and the nature of our God. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it may be that for some of you, as you pray about this coming gift day, God wants you to give more than is actually needed, more than's required. Maybe he wants you to move from just regular, normal, affordable giving into an era of extravagant giving, the kind of giving that makes people wince, but ultimately the kind of giving that says something about the nature of God and invites him into the story. But the second type of giving that shows up in our passage is what I would call proportional giving. Because Paul understood like you would understand today that not everyone is necessarily able to give extravagantly not yet and we can't always give in that extravagant more than we can afford way all the time and he, he, Paul can almost hear the objections as he's writing about this Macedonian church. He can almost hear the objections from the church in Corinth, you know, where they would have been saying, well, you know, that's all very well for the Macedonians, but 
you know, they don't realize we've got a massive cost of living increase at the moment, so it's impossible for us. And, you know, we've got a mortgage to pay. And have you seen the price of diesel recently? It's really shooting up. You know, one pound 80 a liter. You know, there's a war in Ukraine and we might run out of sunflower oil soon. And, you know, it's almost like Paul can hear those objections and, you know, maybe one or two of ours as well coming through. And so Paul's response is, well, listen, not all of you will be able to give extravagantly, but all of us are called to give proportionally. All of us are called to give in proportion to what God has given us. We're called to be good stewards. All of us have been given something. And the idea is not to compare our giving with somebody else's, but rather with a clear conscience say, what has God given me and how can I proportionally and in faith give some of that away to others. It's not a question of comparison, it's a question of stewardship. Here's what Paul says in verse 10 later on. He says, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing so. Now you should finish what started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, all things will be equal. Paul is saying it's a kingdom principle that we should give in proportion to what God has given us. You know, if you don't have much at the moment, then give in proportion to what you currently have. If he's given you a lot right now, give in proportion to what you currently have. But whatever you do should be given with faith, and should be given with cheerfulness. Give it eagerly. You know, we give not because we have to, but because we get to. And actually God loves a cheerful giver. So if you can't give cheerfully, I'd suggest don't give. But if you can, then give cheerfully and give proportionally. So again, what does this mean for you as we come up into the run, in the run up to the gift day? You know, it may be that currently you give nothing into the work and the ministry of the church. Well, if you give nothing, why don't you start to give something? You know, why don't you start giving 20 pounds a month? You know, set up a standing order. You can do that online and just start giving something. Give something in proportion to what God has given you to give. That could be a response. Secondly, it may be that you give occasionally already, but why don't you start giving regularly? You know, set up a standing order. You know, for Carol and I, that means every year we try and give away at least 11% of our money. Okay, and most of that goes out monthly as, a, as a, an offering into the church. And we do it by standing order. It goes straight out of my pay packet uh, once a month. And we give in proportion to what God has given us. And very often we talk about giving a tithe or a 10%. And really that's just a kind of a, a general rule of thumb just to help us get a handle on how we should give. And so that's what we try and do. And maybe for you, if you give occasionally, God wants you to move into the realm of giving regularly into the mission and the work of the church, giving into the why, God's kingdom filling the whole earth. And again, you can do that online. Or it may be that as we come to the gift day, you want to give a one-off gift into our raising £100,000 this year and give 
in proportion to what God has given you. And then lastly, as we come into our passage, ultimately generosity is not primarily about money, but it's a mirror on the gospel. Paul says in verse 9, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he might make you rich. Paul says ultimately generosity is a mirror. It shows you something about your own heart because ultimately our money follows our passion. But also, says Paul, money is one of the ways in which we reflect the beauty and the power of the gospel that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Giving is a mirror on the gospel And it's one of the most powerful ways that we can demonstrate the reality that Jesus is alive to the watching world around us. You know, words are cheap, but I tell you, money really speaks, particularly in our culture. And one of the ways that we can be countercultural in our day, day and age is to say, I refuse to live just for myself. I refuse to be greedy. I refuse to be fearful about money. I refuse to be a hoarder, but I'm going to live like Jesus lived. And so that I so into advance of the kingdom. Though he was rich, he became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. When we give, we start to become like Jesus. So friends, in conclusion, you know, radical generosity enables the impossible to become possible. You know, you think about that little kid with his packed lunch, two loaves, a few loaves, two fish, and he puts it in the hands of Jesus and boom, Jesus multiplies what that little boy put into his hands that day. That's what happens when together we come and we give what we have into the hands of Jesus and we watch him multiply it. Generosity makes the impossible possible. And one of the ways that we can start to achieve our why, to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of God's glory, is by giving into our special offering this year. And I want to invite you in the run up to that in a few weeks to just be praying now, saying, God, how do you want me to respond? What's the part that you want me to play? What is it that you're calling me to do? What have you given me and how can I sow that in? Be like the Macedonian church. And I'm speaking to myself as much as to anybody else. Ask God, what are you saying to me and what should I do about it? And let's keep running after our why to the glory of God. Amen. Thank you so much for listening.